Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another thrilling and riveting episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. Yeah, let's do our Flawed Theology in Real Life. I, I saw this. I Where did I see this? Instagram or Facebook? I, I, don't I saw know. this. I've seen this in a bunch of groups. Honestly, I don't even know if the story that the person is telling is real, but it, the story goes... Today at a grocery store, a nice young man offered to help me with my cases of water. I told him he must be a good Christian guy, and he told me he was an atheist, spelled wrong, by the way. I immediately felt a cold, demonic being in the parking lot. I've been praying and rebuking the devil since then, but he still got me in fear that that demon jumped on me. I need all the prayer warriors to join me in rebuking this devil back to hell. I know God says to fear not, but I'm afraid. <laughs> it's almost too hard to believe because like, I can't I'm really honestly- doubting this happened. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that if I helped some woman carry her water and she said, oh, you're such a good Christian boy. I'm trying to think if I would really say, oh, that's funny because I don't <laughs> believe in God. Like, But what's flawed about this? Okay. If it is real- it perfectly demonstrates the power of suggestion. So she thought this guy carrying water was super nice. She had an assumption that only Christians can carry water nicely for people. Right. And then she learned this new information that it was an atheist carrying water. But instead of like incorporating that new information into her current set of beliefs, she instead like exploded with cognitive dissonance. Right. And I think that like that dissonance manifested as that demon. Yeah. It's like she thought it was a demon because she felt so uncomfortable with trying to reconcile that it was an atheist being nice to her. Right. That's what yeah. I think happened. If this happened at all. Well, and I think it's funny because like if it did happen, the immediate jump to I'm an atheist. Oh, there must be a demonic spirit and the cold thing. It's such a big jump. Mm -hmm. There's a number of steps that you could go through in between. Oh, you're not a Christian to you're an atheist. But no, she jumps right to the demonic realm, which I always find like so flawed and like anything that goes wrong or anything that you perceive in negative is demonic oppression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing that really jumps out to me is the flaw of like, I know God says to fear not, but I'm afraid. If you really have an all-powerful God on your side, even if it was a demon that jumped on you in the grocery store parking lot, what's to be afraid of? You're like you're supposed to be washed in the blood. You have the armor of God. Like And plus, if I don't know if she's saying like that guy was a demon. If so, he was already a demon when he was being nice and offering to help her with the cases of water when right. she was like feeling comfortable. And then as yeah. soon as she found out that he was an atheist, suddenly he's a demon. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Like and the whole like I mean, and, there, and there's any number of like explanations to why it got cold right then, you know, like what time of year was it? Like, was it 117 degrees and then it dropped to 50 degrees? Okay. Then I would say that's really weird. But you know, if it's 62 degrees and there was a breeze, it didn't get cold. There was a breeze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the cognitive dissonance of like this person, I believe that all good can only be done by someone who's a Christian. And then immediately, yeah. oh, you're an atheist though. There's, she couldn't even wrap her head around the idea of an atheist could do something good. Like atheists are like running around with like horns yeah, <laughs> you know, slaughtering and they're people. trying to like just drag people to hell or something. Like, as a Christian, I don't think I would have even jumped to that if I said no. that to someone. Oh, you must be. I don't think I would have said that, first of all, <laughs> but I would have thought to myself, oh, what a nice person. And which is how a normal person would look at it. Yeah. Well, if she'd opened her mind a little bit, maybe she would have seen that goodness is something that all people can do and all people have, regardless of if you believe in a deity or not. I guess I find it sad now, like that you th that the only way 
a lot of people have a motivation to be decent human beings is because of their beliefs. And does it have to be in the Christian God or can it be in any other God? Is it just like any deity watching yeah. over you is what makes you be a good person or what? Because that means that like all the Zoroastrians weren't good people. I'm sure there were tons of them that were good. Right. Um, we're excited to have a guest with us, and her name is Caitlin. Caitlin, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here. Cool. We're glad to have you. So you reached out to us because of your Etsy shop, Atheist Aesthetic, and you were like, hey, I love the show and blah, blah, blah. And you sent us shirts, which was really cool. And actually, I meant to wear mine. I think we first connected in an atheist women's group that we're in that has like 7,000 people in it. Yeah. Caitlin is an amazing artist. She helped guide me kind of because I, I would love to be an artist, but I have zero artistic ability. So I just struggle. You're really good with stick figures, though. Well, yeah. I mean, who isn't? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your background in general, like your faith background. Yeah, absolutely. So I was uh, I was raised religious. I grew up in a um, in a Baptist church and uh, I was very, very devout. Um, I was a very motivated Christian. And I, of course, I wanted everybody to be saved. And so, yeah, I would say I was definitely fully invested in it. I wholeheartedly believed in everything and I was wanting to learn more. But I also really took in the message of, uh, of Jesus who, who hung out with the less desirables of society and kind of took that to heart. I wouldn't judge people based on their past, their sexual orientation, that kind of stuff. During that time, it was uh, looked down upon to be to be gay, to be lesbian. A lot of my friends were gays and lesbians, and it, I was still hanging out with them. And but then I also, you know, wanted to save them. So you said you were like you were basically raised Baptist. So were both of your parents like were they fundamentalists, like very conservative Baptists? I would. And was this in Texas or somewhere else? Like. I didn't think of it as being very conservative uh, Baptist, and okay. that's because I knew of families that were much more conservative than than my family. Like some some people weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween because that was of the devil, and then some people didn't celebrate Easter by hiding eggs because that was a pagan <laughs> kind of thing. Whereas my parents, they they were fine with Easter and Halloween, and I was also allowed to play Pokemon. Pokemon, because during that time there was uh, the scare of Pokemon being the devil. But I was, I was. <laughs> Everything's the devil, isn't that? Kind I of know. Yes, like I don't get a lot of TV references or popular media references, partially because I was kind of kept into a bubble. Right. And I managed to watch Adult Swim at night. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. But, so does that mean you don't understand our friends references? No, I don't. I don't at all. That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, my uh so whenever I moved out of the house, uh I noticed that I was a lot more conservative of a Christian than other uh Christians were. Like I I met friends that uh they totally accepted the LGBT community like that wasn't a sin to them and I was like, "Huh." That's really interesting. That's an interesting concept. I also made friends with people of other religions. I thought that was an interesting concept as well, that there was other ways for you to worship God. 
I was a very curious Christian, probably sacrilegious even, because I would go to the mosque, I would go to temples, I would go to Buddhist temples, um, just to go explore different religions. And did you do that just for your own kind of knowledge? Or was it more like you were curious as to how they compared to Christianity? Like what was the motivation behind going to kind of other churches and other faith communities? So um, I you know, growing up, I uh, was always really interested in different cultures. I also really liked languages as well. And religion is a huge part of other cultures, especially Asian cultures and Arab cultures as well. And I just wanted to be able to understand people better. I was just interested in it. I wanted to go check it out. I wanted yeah. to know how other people believed. And I, th I think that makes you special from the very beginning that you had that open mind that your parents didn't necessarily instill that in you. It sounds like they didn't, but you just naturally had a curious open mind. Yeah. It's interesting how some people have that and other people just don't. Yeah. yeah. Did your parents say anything about it? Like, even though you're out of the house, did they like say, oh, you shouldn't do that? Or like, why are you doing that? Did they have any opinion on it? Or at that point, they were like, you're an adult, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, um, actually, my mom is the one who took me to the mosque first, because uh, she had a friend who was who was Muslim. Huh. Like I said, my faith background did say and I wholeheartedly believe that you know Muslims were going to hell that uh, anyone who didn't fo follow the Bible or accept Jesus Christ was going to hell but I started having a, a real problem with that I, I started hanging out with more and more people and thinking wow like what did they do to deserve hell outside of mm -hmm. you know just believing different like i guess how lucky am i that i grew up in the right <laughs> right spot here right. in america that sounds so familiar <laughs> yeah yeah um i was also i like i knew that uh, the Bible had been written and rewritten multiple times. And so I was like, okay, maybe not everything is in the Bible is correct. And maybe these people aren't going to go to hell. And that was like kind of the first chip in the block, I guess, is not accepting that people of other religions go to hell just because they got the concept of God wrong. Right. So uh, I guess a little fast forward, um, I was given a Bible, uh, sorry, not a Bible, a, a, a daily devotional whenever my husband and I were married. And I was like, okay, we're going to be good Christians. We're going to be a successful family. And we're going to dive into this day, this uh, daily devotional. It got you to go into the the Bible. And I started reading around the passages as well, because I'm like, a good successful Christian household will will know the entire Bible. And read the context. Just, yeah, read, they'll read the context. And I started. I still don't know the passage, but it was something about this entire village of people were forced to have circumcision because they weren't part of the Jewish tribe. And I was like, that's, <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah. And so at that moment, I was like, okay, I don't accept the Bible as holy, but I was still Christian. I still believed that Jesus died and rose again because I'd been Christian for all of my life at that point. But then like kind of slowly, 
one day I re- realized, I was like, wait, if I don't accept the Bible as true, then why do I accept Jesus rising from the dead and dying for my sins as true? Like, why do I accept that? And then at, in that moment, it was kind of like a shattering of my faith. Like it, it shattered. <laughs> and I, I can't, I can't describe it any other way besides having shackles removed. The same shackles that like the church would always say, yeah, when, if you, whenever you truly accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you will feel free. You will feel elated. And in that moment, I felt free and elated, but it was because I didn't accept Jesus Christ as my savior anymore. It's like reverse salvation. (laughs) Yeah, it was reverse salvation. Yeah. And for a moment, it was like, it was like really, really free. It was like all the stress in the world was off of my shoulders for a few moments. And I think it's because all the stress I had felt about people going to hell, um, you know, my LGBT friends, like what, what's going to happen to them? All that just kind of went away. But then the stress like came back on whenever I realized I was like, oh, shoot, I don't know what I believe anymore. Am I an atheist? <laughs> like that was so scary. <laughs> for me <laughs> fortunately my my husband was super super accepting and within like a i want to say a couple months he he was like yeah i'm a i'm an atheist too we talked about it later he's like yeah like i had been an atheist all that time and i'm like why didn't you tell me he's like yeah. i don't know i just loved you so much yeah oh. was he in the same place as you when you guys got married were you both christian or like you just kind of assumed he was because you were or was that something you guys didn't really wasn't on the radar like so he wasn't uh raised in the church uh like i was so i would you know i would tell him about things that uh, i learned in in bible study he he would go with me sometimes to to the youth groups but he's like, I'm socially awkward. I don't want to go hang out with them. And he is. He is socially <laughs> awkward. But it was also the message didn't resonate with him as much as it had for me. And I'm not sure why the messages uh, resonated for, with me so much. I think it was maybe because it was just simply my my family believed it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, wow, why why did I bite so hard on it? Maybe that was because it was the identity that you were given at birth. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you find your identity comforting in a way. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> and when you grow up in that background, because I grew up in a similar background, you don't mm-hmm. realize that there's anything else really out there that is like possible to be happy because you're told that everything else out there is evil and the the world is scary and yada yada yada. So you got to stay in your bubble like it's a self-protection method. And so then when you get outside of that, whether it's you going to college or getting out of your house and you realize, oh, there's actually decent human beings out here and they don't believe the same thing I do. How's that possible? Like, yeah, like my Muslim friends, they didn't hate me for being Christian. (laughs) You know, it wasn't all hate up and down. They just wanted to exist. Right. Yeah. How did you like kind of know that the Bible was composed and compiled? Because like that was something I didn't know at all. Like I Mm -hmm. thought I knew 
how the Bible was put together, but I was like, you know, a biblical inerrantist. I thought there was no errors and that it was, you know, the inspired word of God. And like, I'm only recently, even post deconversion, I'm now like really into finding out how the Bible was put together and like all of that stuff. Like, how did you find that out? So I think it was discussed in the church. Like, I, I think they discussed how the Bible is tainted by the hands of men, but it's still God's inspired word. How could you have it both ways? Yeah. Like it was inspired originally and then the hands of man tainted it after that. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. And then I also did have, I did have atheist friends. My, my atheist friends are like, to me, were just always like super, super smart. They just weren't saved. <laughs> and um, they knew a lot about the Bible, interestingly enough. They told me a little bit about the history of it. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's still a holy book and still what God wants me to read, that kind of stuff. It's so crazy how, like, now that I'm sa really saying this out loud, is yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I bit down so hard. Like, cause yeah. it, it's interesting, too, because I remember in science class, I remember us talking about evolution, and I had no issue with that at all. But I also had no issue with Noah's flood. <laughs> it's two opposing ideas somehow existing as one. I think of, uh, and whenever I think of this, I think of whenever you have fresh water and salt water mixing together. Um, I forget what, what that brackish. term is. Brackish water. Bra yeah. brackish. Brackish, <laughs> brackish water. And I, that's what I kind of envision whenever I think of that. Like huh. these two complete opposites just mixing together and somehow existing. Yeah, it's like an interesting compartmentalization, but like you allowed those two things to, to exist, but you didn't realize that they were in conflict with each other. Yeah. Did you try to avoid thinking about these things too much? Like, did you try to avoid thinking about evolution and the implications that it had for religion or thinking about Noah's Ark too much and like how all the animals fit on and what they ate and how <laughs> they didn't eat each other? <laughs> I think I just accepted it. Now, to be fair to myself, I was 18 or sorry, I was 19 whenever I left the house and it only took me two years to become an atheist. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, it was it was pretty quick. Yeah. But yeah, it was like a just ex acceptance of it is the way it is. Mm. I like to think that I was a fairly intelligent teenager. Right. That, and that's not to say that intelligent people don't believe in, you know, faith. Yeah, they do. Yeah, there's plenty of them. You mm -hmm. kind of always hear that even from pastors and, and stuff like that. They'd be like, oh, your atheist friends may be really smart and blah, 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 but that's the world's wisdom. You guys, you have God's wisdom and that's, you know, more important. Yeah. And that's kind of maybe how you compartmentalize those things like, oh, these people who don't believe in God are really smart, but that's just like natural smart. I have this other smarts that they don't have. Like, and plus I'm also normally intelligent too. Cause that's how I felt. Like I was like, I didn't feel like I was an idiot. I was like, you yeah. think you're pretty smart, you know, especially if you get into apologetics, you're like, yeah, you get into all this cool. You think you're getting into logic and reason, but you're really just getting into bad debate to bad tactics, you know, like. I think that the more intelligent you are, the easier it is to convince yourself of some things and to rationalize problems away. Like when I think about smart or people who do apologetics who are smart, I think of inspiring philosophy. Do you know who that is? I, I don't know who that is. I think his name is Mike something. Just listening to him, you can tell he's a very smart guy and he reads like papers on physics and interprets them and tries to come up with his own theories for the foundation of reason and stuff. It goes over my head, but <laughs> his motivation, what is it? 
to continue mm -hmm. to believe. That's his motivation. And so then he's using his intellect to try to find any way he possibly can to believe. Whereas yeah. anybody of any intelligence, if they just remove that motivation and that bias and they're like, what do the facts say? What is the most likely explanation for all these facts? And yeah. I feel like if you do that, then what you come to is that religion has no basis. Do you find any of it like um, convincing? Like compelling? <laughs> no, I really don't. But they're yeah. always well thought out arguments. And I can tell that they are convincing to Christians, yeah. people who already believe. Yeah. Anybody who's an apologist type person, they say, I have a logical explanation for all this. I don't just believe this stuff blindly until you press them to the point of where there's two really conflicting points. And then they have to say, well, you just have to have faith. Yeah. And the other thing they say is that is that we don't believe just on faith. Our faith is based on evidence. And then when you start discussing the evidence and you say the evidence is not good enough, then they'll say, oh, but God wouldn't want to give us too much evidence because he wants us to believe on faith. It's like the circular thing. Right. It's like they want to have it both ways. They want to believe by faith, and they also want to claim they have evidence, but right. they, they both don't fit together. It is, and I think um, it, it's it's been so long since I've been a Christian now, but I, I want to say that whenever I did believe, it was, you know, it, it definitely was faith. One of the things for me that was evidence, and you're going to hate this, but it was the trees. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not the trees. <laughs> Not the trees. And, you know, I feel like this is a very, very human aspect, but it was like being able to look into the trees and see, seeing the swaying of the branches and feeling comforted. And it was like a mis very mystical experience. That feeling I equated to God. Mm -hmm. Anytime I found beauty in, in the world, that was God's love. That was very, very convincing for me. That's a very common response. I mean, I felt the same way. Like, even when I was going through kind of my deconstruction part, you know, I was getting rid of the fundamentalism, but I still believe in God. And so then I was like, well, I can experience God everywhere. Like, and, and, and like you said, like you go on a hike and you're on the top of a mountain and you're overlooking this big thing and you feel this overwhelming sense of wonder. And then you just attribute that to God because that's the framework that you're in. Mm -hmm. Now, if I go up on top of a mountain and I see a whole big bunch of things, I start to think about how many millions of years it took to make this like and a whole different level yeah. of wonder and appreciation that doesn't get attributed to God or has nothing to do with my belief. It's just because it's there, you know, and I appreciate it for what it is, which is it's very different, but it, it can be disconcerting. Was that disconcerting for you? Like at some point letting go of like, well, nature is wonderful because of God to maybe mm -hmm. how you view it now? Yeah, it, it's kind of sad, actually. I kind of miss that mystic mysticism because it was, I guess, a type of euphoria, I suppose that's the word. Whenever you looked at the beauty around you, it, it made me feel really, really good. Um, and now I can still appreciate beauty and be, be in awe of it, but it's not quite the same. It's really, really interesting. Yeah. It's sad because I miss it, but then I also wouldn't trade my current understanding of the world for, uh, what I believed before because I think that, I think that the stress of people going to hell and having to save your neighbor, you know, knocking on people's doors, going on mission trips, that kind of stuff that that was very very heavy and um i really like my my understanding of of the world now you at one point discovered the bible was not holy this was after you got married right yeah after you got yes. that devotional 
So you mentioned that you knew that the Bible had been tainted by human hands. You had known that already, right? And then you started reading the context around some of these Bible verses, and then you read that horrible story about forced circumcision of an entire village. Was (laughs) there anything else that played into your kind of epiphany that the Bible was not a holy book. I want to say that particular passage stood stood out um, as far as like kind of pulling the strings. More of my um, criticisms of the Bible came afterwards because kind of ironically, I've read more of the Bible as an atheist than I ever did as a Christian. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. In the Bible, it says at least three times not to cook a baby goat in <laughs> its mother's milk. Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't go into sexual assault aside from, you know, you must pay a certain amount of shekels and marry the woman that you sexually assaulted. Right. I saw this after I became atheist, but there is a passage in the Bible about how if you suspect your wife of cheating on you, then you should have her go to um, go to the holy man and have have her drink this potion and if her stomach swells then you know she had cheated on you and the unborn child shall come out it's it's something like that yeah yeah i know what you're talking about and i was like this is totally opposite of don't have an abortion (laughs) yeah Yeah. so it was you know it's stuff like that that i'm like wow like how much of this stuff did I just miss as a Christian? Well, most pastors aren't preaching on that from the pulpit. You know, they're not talking about, you know, when you get in a fight and you got to grab your husband's testicles or something like that. They're just not talking about that on the Sunday morning. Like, (laughs) funny you say that because uh, I've talked with progressive Christians. Like they talk about, Oh yeah. You know, God is nothing but love. And we just talk about how great God is. (laughs) And I'm like, really? Cause in the Baptist church, church we talked a lot about hell yeah. <laughs> we, ta- yeah. we talked about the bad news like the pastor was saying now now we just sung about the good news everybody but we got to talk about the bad news and i <laughs> i kid you not like that that was i, I want to say that was almost a quote yeah yeah everybody is bad and everything is bad and everything is evil and mm-hmm. I, it sounds like most of your kind of discoveries once you kind of got past the circumcision thing were kind of post deconversion but did you ever go to any christians with the things that you came across in the bible and been like hey what's the deal with this like or was it like you saw that and you were like oh hell no like this is ridiculous like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's nothing anybody could say to yeah. justify this yeah i've talked with some of my christian friends and usually they they're like, I have no answer for this. It's either <laughs> that or it's you're taking it out of context. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, tell What's me the what context? the context is. Right. Well, what context <laughs> could this be okay? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't gotten anything convincing re- regarding the context. And it could be like it's not translated correctly or something like that. And to me, it's frustrating because there's so much of that within the Bible itself. I have this Bible called the Skeptics Annotated Bible, by the way, that I've used to reference, like, anytime someone gives me, like, a very helpful scripture, I'm like, okay, let me go see what the contradiction is in this. (laughs) (laughs) I want one of those. (laughs) I want one of those, too. I'm going to find this on Amazon. Is that a paper version? I have a leather-bound paper version. (laughs) Nice. wow. So beautiful. I've decided that um, if I'm ever forced to go to a church, I, I will take that one with me yes um <laughs> that's fantastic it's a great little reference it is. yeah that's really cool cool 
when you first got married, you said you wanted to read the devotionals because you wanted to be a, a successful Christian family. Did mm -hmm. part of that include a wife being submissive to her husband? Like, did you buy into the the role of women in the church and in the family and that whole thing? I want to say I didn't. So here, here was my interpretation of that. In a perfect world, that would work. However, you know, I, I knew very much of domestic abuse. I knew very much of child abuse. And I knew that in this world, that didn't work. And so my the way I got around that was, I was like, okay, in a perfect world, that, that is how that would work. But in this world, you know, a wife can't be submissive to her husband. Yeah, it's very interesting how my my mind like would wrap around it because I I did not like the idea of being submissive to um, yeah me neither my husband yeah <laughs> at all <laughs> and he didn't like the idea of it either he he right. often you know, he often informs people he's, he's like no she's she's in the control here I'm like you cannot <laughs> put it that way <laughs> everyone knows the wife is in control that's just common knowledge there's a quote from you uh, my my big fat Greek wedding that I oh the neck I, thing yes. <laughs> Do you know the quote, Phil? Sorry, yes. I interrupted her. The man might be the head, but the wife's the neck, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you know about a lot of the passages in the Bible that are really bad for women, like being silent in church and being paid off when you're a sexual assault victim and um, not even the woman being paid off, but her father being paid off? Right. Female babies are dirty for twice as long as male babies and go live in the backyard during your period. Did you know about all that? I, yeah, I did. And I think that the way it was justified to us was that was the Old Testament and that was their ways. Mm -hmm. But it was also funny because I remember very distinctly, this may be the Old Testament, but it's still the Bible. But yeah. so it like, and it goes back to that brackish water. There was a lot of things that you would accept and just accept it as as is. And I think it was kind of ties back to religion is, you know, really has an impact on culture. But culture is still different in a way from from religion, because in my particular church, like it was fine to eat shrimp, <laughs> but it was kind of looked down upon to drink. And then it wasn't until I moved to another town that, and th this was whenever I was still a kid, but we moved to another town and I learned that Baptists didn't dance. And I had been <laughs> a Baptist. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Baptists don't dance. That's ridiculous. Bless like your footloose. heart. <laughs> Bless your heart. Uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting where you like it, when you move from different locations and then the different flavors of of Christianity and they every one of them thinks they got all of their doctrine straight from the Bible. And then that starts to make you wonder. And it's funny because like you as someone who like experimented and explored other religions, you ask yourself, well, how could all these people be right? You know, and that kind of like led to asking those questions. But a lot of people, they just, they don't realize with it, even within Christianity, they're like, well, how could all of us be right when there's so many differences? Like that's just something you don't think about when you're, when you're in the bubble. And I, I'm not sure what it is that made me like even think about that. I kind of attribute it to, I suppose, my social awkwardness because I was the black sheep of the family. I didn't get a lot of the things that 
my family were into. Like they love beer season and, you know, hunting and they would get like really rowdy about, you know, random things. And I would be there. I'm like, I'm just trying to draw right now. I, I don't get this. I'm like, maybe one day I'll, I'll get it. I, I don't want to call myself. I was the outcast by any means, but I was definitely different. It was actually commented on a lot. It's like hmm. Caitlin marches to the beat of her own drum. And it wasn't necessarily <laughs> a negative thing. It was just what was. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I, I do. I don't really understand where my beats coming from. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what y'all's beat are, is doing. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Texas. And when I think of Texas, I think mega conservative, mega Christian, except for maybe Austin. Mm -hmm. Are you in an area where you're mainly surrounded by Christians? I know you said you had some atheist friends, but do you feel like you're in a minority now? Uh, well, I definitely feel like I'm a minority now, but it was interesting because uh, whenever I was growing up, like I want to say I was one of the only Christian people in my friend group. Like there was a couple of us, but like I was definitely the more more devout believer i want to say you know texas is like a lot of people will say ew texas like it you know crawling with christians <laughs> <laughs> and there's way more signage for uh christianity there's more crosses there's more um billboards reminding me that i'm going to hell <laughs> I, I thank them for that <laughs> as far as like the actual people like i want to say like on the ground like whenever you get to know people there's there's a lot of atheists there's a lot of lgbt members there's Texas we're actually very very diverse especially in outside of super small towns mm -hmm. you know you mentioned Austin is being different but you know we also got Houston Houston is probably one of the most diverse areas in the country well atheists and agnostics aren't out evangelizing trying to convince right. other people to be yeah. atheists and agnostics it's good to know this firsthand from a Texan because I think social media in the media and memes that get passed around, I think that it presents a skewed perception of what it's really like to live in Texas and what the people are really like. What would you say like are some of the most damaging aspects of religion or faith? Like talk about maybe for your own personal experience, were there things specifically that you felt harmed you as a person and then maybe broaden it out to the general population? The pressure to believe a certain way was very damaging because if you wanted to be a good Christian, you know, you were, you were going to put as much time as you could. Um, I want to say also I wasted a lot of time in Bible study whenever I could have been focusing more on school, sports, art, um, that kind of stuff. I want to say I wasted a good deal of time. And it's not to say that uh, studying the Bible in and of itself is a waste of time. I, I think it's worth uh, at least knowing about it and knowing the passages and, and knowing the history behind it. But spending too much time on um, what the correct interpretation is, uh, I think that was very damaging. I also want to say that one of the damaging aspects is whenever you leave the faith, family looks at you differently suddenly saying the blessing becomes very awkward <laughs> i've told my family you know it's i'm okay with you saying the prayer at, at dinner this is your home this is your tradition but it's it's not quite the same because caitlin's not christian anymore mm. do they try to witness to you in the prayers 
like real subtly <laughs> you can definitely pick up on it <laughs> for sure um i guess another damaging aspect was just believing people were inherently damaged sinful believing that people were horrible just because we were human beings and only through jesus could we be saved i think that was a very damaging aspect because what what makes us so horrible and there's things that human beings do but geez a five-year-old what has the five-year-old done that they need to learn that you know the friends are gonna burn in hell and they'll burn in hell too if they don't accept jesus christ now whenever i was going to church it was uh believed that you know it was once you reach puberty that's whenever you you had to make the decision mm. not you know five-year-olds necessarily but still like i remember as a five-year-old being pressured i also remember going into a um there here's another thing that was kind of damaging uh, i had a lot of nightmares over it uh, we went to the Ripley's Believe It or Not, and there was a uh, wax statue of Jesus Christ on on the crucifix, <laughs> and <laughs> and he was bleeding, and it was the most terrifying thing. I think I had I had so many nightmares after that because I, I thought I thought I was a real person because of right. how lifelike figures are. Su- super super terrifying. It had more stuff too. It had, you know, the 12 disciples. I think it was at the, the Last Supper. Did it have Judas hanging from a rope? <laughs> you know, maybe. Or a lion headlong in a field with his bowels burst open. How do you view like morality and the idea of like people can be good without God? That was one thing that I had to tackle with for a while is, okay, so where does morality come from? Because uh, I know I don't want to kill people. I don't want to steal all of a sudden. But I think we first have to define what good is as a culture and as human beings. And if good is the maximum health and maximum wellness for everybody around you, then anything that makes anyone less healthy or less well, then that's immoral. But that's how I, I kind of view it is ma- maximum wellness and maximum health. And what what can I do um, in my environment to make sure that I'm not negatively impacting on someone else's, you know, well-being for, for no no reason. Right. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it was like Seth Andrews or somebody was saying, you know, people always say like, how do you have morality as an atheist? And so people, <laughs> I think it was Seth Andrews that said, well, yeah, I can kill and, and rape and murder as many people as I want today. And guess how many people that is? Zero. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that you need a deity lording over you to make you want to be a good person, and it actually makes you a worse kind of person if that's what you need to motivate you to be a decent human being. Do you guys know who Darren Brown is? I think that's his name. He's like an illusionist. The like guy who debunks miracles? Yeah. Yeah. I watched an episode where he did an experiment where he had a hidden camera and he recorded like how many times the people would cheat on the assignment when (laughs) nobody was looking. And then he told for the next set of people, he told them that there was a haunted chair in the room and there was like a ghost attached to it. (laughs) And even if the people didn't believe that the ghost was real, they still in the back of their minds, they felt like there was somebody else looking over them. And so none of them cheated. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. interesting. It's like, The idea that there is a God looking over you, maybe it's not even important that it's a God. It's just somebody like it could be a teacher, it could be your parent, it could be a security camera, anything that's a level above you keeping you accountable. 
Yeah. But if you're good, like inside, then you don't need that accountability. You can just be good on your own motivation and your own accord. Yeah. And you shouldn't need that like external factor to just no, you treat shouldn't. people hu like human beings. Some like, people do. Yeah. But apparently, <laughs> apparently there's a lot of people that do, which I guess is kind of disturbing, I guess, as a culture, like you need a God over top of you. Otherwise you might get the uncontrollable urge to kill and pillage and rape. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty nuts. Yeah. There's something interesting and where the concept of, of God originally came from it's interesting we're talking about like you know somebody needs to be watching over you i i can't think of where where i learned this and i don't know if it's factually true or not uh so i'd have to like look it up there's a theory that you know the concept of god arose whenever humans began hearing voices in their head as in like our our own thoughts oh wow that's fascinating and the fun thing i do know this is that not everybody hears their own thought in their head and uh it's also really really hard for psychologists to study the voices in our head because they're in our head they're in our head <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but you know some people can say what do you mean you actually hear something in your head i have a family member you know if you're told picture an ocean and you're you're sitting in the boat most people i want to say can envision themselves actually in the boat and there is a picture inside of their head mm -hmm. and it wasn't until like his late 20s late 30s that he realized he's like oh my god people actually see that i just have an idea of it it's yeah i'm not actually picturing it and so that, that goes back to like the voices in our head not everybody has that also our voices tend to be more critical of us i don't know about you guys but whenever i slightly mess up it'll be oh caitlin why did you do that like oh me too you're so incompetent <laughs> <laughs> yeah you dwell on it forever and you can't sleep at night because you're just repeating it over and over in your head yes so i think that's where probably this concept of a god that judges and humans aren't perfect because we started hearing those voices that are very, very critical of ourselves. That's a fascinating take. Yeah. And if you think about like, if you go back to early humanity where they didn't understand anything about cognition or the brain or anything, if you heard a voice in your head, you thought it was real. Why wouldn't you attribute it to some actual thing and i mean a mm -hmm. deity or a god makes a good set you know sense and then you tell somebody about it and then they're they're like oh i heard the voice in my head too <laughs> there you go a religion is is spawned from a couple hundred people that are like having voices in their heads like <laughs> just to make sure yeah. i understand what you guys mean by having a voice in your head are you talking about voices that spontaneously appear in your head and say things that you don't intend for them to say or is it like your inner monologue i think it's both because my my inner monologue can be very very mean to me <laughs> i know what you're talking about those spontaneous things where i was like how dare you <laughs> i don't understand the concept of a voice popping up into your head everything i hear in my head i understand that it came from me or at least i think it comes from me well you do now because you know how human cognition works but so you're saying that go back like 10, a thousand years. years ago i would have thought that was an external thought that popped into my head instead <laughs> of me creating that thought it's possible it's possible i wasn't there it's ten thousand years ago well <laughs> yeah i'm just trying to understand what the conversation here is about because i don't have that kind of first thought the first type of thought that you guys were talking about that just kind of spontaneously happens i have the thoughts that i create i don't understand the other thing well, yeah i think like now if you're self-aware enough you know that you're creating these thoughts and you know that they're related to 
daily life like you had a work project and it didn't go well and so then you beat yourself up about it but like if you go back evolutionarily they didn't know that you know there was no concept of the self and all that stuff like so mm -hmm. They could have had the same functioning happening and not know where it came from. This is so fascinating. Was there a book that you read about this, Caitlin? Or where did you learn about this? I'll have to find the references for yeah, you. Yeah, if you can find it, then we'll link to it. Yeah. So you hinted at this a little bit earlier, but like if you had to classify your belief system now, I don't even like to use the terminology belief system, but you know, how you view the world. world. View. Yeah, <laughs> worldview. I don't even like worldview because that still has like a Christian. Right. How about current understanding of the world, which I think is what Caitlin said earlier. Yeah. So how would you label yourself, I guess, as a in view of your understanding of the world? At the moment, I would say that I am a humanist. Whenever asked, I say an atheist because um, most people that know me, uh, they know me for volunteering in my community and doing good things. And so whenever they ask, oh, are you Christian? Like, where do you go to church? I'm like, actually, no, I'm I'm an atheist. <laughs> and I say that so that it destigmatizes the word yeah. and paints a picture of, hey, by the way, if your pastor has been saying how horrible atheists are, here's a picture for you. Right. Here's a real atheist. Like, <laughs> Yeah, here's a real atheist. Yeah. Uh, humanist. humanist is also a good term, but a lot of people don't know what a human is. And now that could be a good spur into a conversation. What's a humanist? Oh, it's an atheist, but we have like a, cer a certain code. But I don't exactly adhere to a code aside from the core value that human hands solve human problems. That one resonates me with me the most. And then, uh, interestingly enough, I would say I, uh, I dabble in a little bit of atheopaganism, where you take in, like, the rituals of, of paganism, because I find it very beautiful and very poetic, but then you don't believe that there's actually mystical things happening around it, uh, that there's a god, that there's pixies, that kind of stuff. There's no nothing supernatural about it. Um, it's more of symbolism, and it, it kind of plays into um, helping me do mindfulness because very, very hard for me to sit down and hum and meditate. <laughs> but whenever I pick up like an amethyst rock and I put it in front of a candle that's lit, you know, the amethyst rock can, you know, represent so many things to me, like creativity, calmness. The candle can represent spontaneity. And those kind of things kind of help me envision what I want out of the day, what I want out of life. But it's not a practice of let me worship something, let me pray to something. This is internal monologue of, hey, this is who I am and this is what I want and what I value. Yeah, I think that's kind of a cool way to view it. Like, and the, you said a keyword, which I was going to say, and you took it right out of my mouth. So kudos. Internal. It's internal. Yeah. It's you connecting with yourself. It's kind of like a replacement for your daily devotional. Yeah. And I think there's even people that are capable of doing that with religious ritual. Like, there's a lot of people that really enjoy liturgy and like high church and all that kind of stuff for the same exact reason not because they necessarily believe they're communing with god but because they like how it makes them feel and that even now i think if i if i went to a big beautiful cathedral it's like awe-inspiring not because mm -hmm. of god but because it makes you appreciate beauty and art and how the hell did they yeah. build this in 1400 like you know like yeah. that kind of thing like <laughs> yeah i think that's really cool from having that internal view and the internal connection
did you go through like an angry atheist phase? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I think this kind of plays into how our synapses are wired in our brain. So like as a Christian, or at least as uh, evangelical Baptist Christian, like I needed to convert everybody to Christianity. Well, whenever I became an atheist, all of a sudden, everybody needed to be an atheist <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's not what I wanted. I, I didn't want to be the atheist that converts people because I, I also knew that's not how that had worked for me. Atheism is very much your own internal spiritual journey. But I was mad that every time I saw like a cross anywhere, I would get I would get angry. Like if it wasn't on a church, I would be like, why is there a cross right there? <laughs> or if there was signs and not even the you're going to hell signs, but do you need God's wisdom? That mm. kind of stuff that would just make me absolutely angry. <laughs> I had conversations with my parents, too. Um, they would bring up uh, religion, and I'd be like, okay, do you really want to have this conversation with me? And they would push it, and I would lose my cool. I would absolutely lose my cool. And that's not to say I, I wouldn't lose my cool now, but I want to say I've calmed down quite a bit. <laughs> I want to say that's just because I've found more community. The Atheist Women page that Susie and I are a part of is really great for that, really great for venting and supporting one another um getting to listen to podcasts like this and knowing that there's a community out there which speaking of I, have y'all ever heard of oasis no that name sounds familiar don't they do like a conference or something like that yeah so it's kind of like church but for atheists there's always a really cool session that I, I want to say it's always either scientifically based or someone that is from the community talks about it. So one, we talked about effective altruism. So getting the best bang of your buck for whenever it comes to donating to charity. So doing the most good. Mm. We also had a past, uh, sorry, a priestess speak to us. She was a transgender priestess. She was still a Christian, but she was, she just talked about what her experience was and um, why she still believed. It wasn't like a preachy kind of thing. It was just more of a, this is my experience as a human being. I, I thought that was super cool because, you know, at, at church, we never had anybody from a different religion, mm -hmm. you know, come and speak to us. It was always learning about, you would learn about different religions um, in study, in Bible study. But aside from Jews for Jesus, we, we never had anyone <laughs> from a different religion speak yeah. to us. Yeah. I'm just looking up their websites like Oasis Network. There's one not too far from here. That's kind of interesting. Wow. It looks like they're all in Texas too. And then they're in a couple in, ca mm -hmm. in Canada. And Is there any in Maryland? Uh, nope. Okay. Plus they have some t-shirts on here and stickers. Speaking of t-shirts and stickers. That's actually what I was going to say. I was like, let's talk about your Etsy shop, Atheist Aesthetic. How did you come to, to start that? And what was the motivation behind it? And maybe tell people a little about what it is too. Absolutely. I really love this little shop. Whenever, you know, COVID was really popping off, we were working from home. I had a lot more free time. Imagine that. My friend Ashley Brady, she's the one who actually came up with the idea. And she's like, we should we should start an atheist 
uh, t-shirt shop. I'd really like to focus on positive atheism, like coming up with things that make you feel good to be an atheist and not so much to, to like bash other religions or to like be offensive to religions. I mean, we still have things like not of your rib. I have that sticker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just, I appreciate that you have our art, you know, at all. Um, we, we knew it, it's probably never going to be a thing that we can live off of. So we decided we wanted to donate 10% of our proceeds from it, tithing, per se, uh, <laughs> to, to uh, uh, atheist programs. So I think we've, we've donated to Recovering from Religion, donated to, I think it's called Wonder Camp. It's basically a camp for kids to learn about the world in a secular manner. Uh, it's super, super, super cool. And then, so there's uh, Orthodox um, Jewish community that you don't hear about a lot. And I think it's because they're very reserved uh, with one another, but it's very much if you you leave that community, you don't have anybody. I think it was called Footsteps. I It was Footsteps to, to basically help people who have escaped the community find financial freedom and find their new life. So I think the motivation behind it was to do good. We want t-shirts and stickers that promote kind of a good feeling. And we have this one really cool one. It's uh, It says atheist on it. And it has a bird escaping from a cage. And there's uh, there's a book underneath of it. That's in reference to the the freedom from religion. Uh, there's another one I, I really like. It's called um, Foxhole Atheist. And then on the back, it says proof we exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for uh, our, our military brethren who um, who have been in foxholes and who have been atheists. And there's a there's a popular saying that says there's no such thing as uh, an atheist in a foxhole. And that that's not true. Um, I, I think that's very insulting uh, because it kind of suggests, hey, your your feelings, your beliefs are not valid. Through that, that we're hoping to kind of validate people and, and bring attention to, hey, we atheists, we exist, especially here in here in Texas. Yeah. I'll vouch for your shop that the the screen printing is that what you call it? It's like the good yeah. kind that's not mm-hmm. doesn't feel plasticky. That's mm-hmm. I saw a shirt in another shop that I wanted, but it was that plasticky kind. So I came straight to you and I said, <laughs> "Can you make me this shirt?" But in like the good screen printing, whatever you do, whatever magic, and you in like yes. two hours, you had the shirt ready for me to order. And I love mm-hmm. that shirt. I wear it all the time. Is that the DNA one with the tree? Yeah, the tree tree DNA. That's yeah. the one. Tree that's tree DNA. Cool. I remember that, and I think um, Ashley had actually designed that for you. Um, I hope our cool. listeners go check it out. Thank you so much. I don't know if you still have it, but you had given us a code to give out to the listeners that would give them some, I think it was like 15% discount. Is that still good? Yes. I think it was the code was flawed. So it, we'll, we'll put mm-hmm. it out on the episode. So if people yeah. will go check out atheist aesthetic and the way it's written in the shop yeah and the way if you type it into etsy and look for it and you put a space between atheist and aesthetic it brings up like six thousand products and then it says did you mean and it has your actual shop the shop so so people when you're looking for it make sure you actually go to her actual shop because there's a bunch of other products that may or may not be (laughs) made by and we'll put a link to it yeah we'll put a link in the in the show notes for sure it's it's really cool there's a lot of fun stuff in there i might have to get a couple of these I like the tectonic plates can move mountains. That's a good one too. <laughs> oh, I want that.
What's some advice or like thoughts you would share with people who might be in the midst of their deconstruction or deconversion journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that a lot of uh, what we've talked about today so far has been talking about internal, like what 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 is important to you. And I think that a lot of us inherently have these internal core values that we may or may not have explored. I want to say that exploring what your core values are, what is important to you, starting there and then um, expounding on that. Like, what do these core values mean to me? And how do I live a fulfilling life? So let's say you're one of your core values is financial security. Okay, what, what are you doing to make sure that you're remaining financially stable? Are you taking out resources? And then is it important to you that other people are financially stable? Do you teach teach others who want to want to learn? Um, are you volunteering in your community? Uh, I think financial stability might that might that be the best uh, core value I could think of. But that that's something I think is, is important, especially in today's economy. A lot of our generation uh, really suffers and not necessarily because of their own hands, um, but because of what's been dealt to them. Another thing that was super, super helpful for me was finding community, whether that's the atheist community or if there's something in your uh, in your area that interests you like a like a gardening community or animal rescue it has to be important to you for recovering from religion because i think that whenever we find those things that are important to us and we're able to grow from from those experiences that's whenever we do a lot of our recovering and you don't have to go into your community i keep referencing that because uh, a little bit of self-bias i i like going into community but a lot of us are introverts so if there's something that you'd like to do in in your home like what's important to you inside of your home is it cleanliness is it the organization is it production what what do you like and, and go from there i think that's so impactful because our whole religious lives we were told none of that stuff really matters mm-hmm. like i always felt guilty that i cared so much if my house was clean i always felt guilty when i focused too much on making sure that i had financial stability and you know mm-hmm. saving for retirement that was way more important to me than giving to my church those kinds of things made me feel guilty but no now i think those are really good things to focus on you just need to find something that's meaningful to you like you said yeah you finding your core values whether it's financial or otherwise that's something that's not taught to you in religion at all. Your core values don't matter because you have to get your core values from God or from the Bible right. or from your pastor or whatever. So that's that's an exercise in self-discovery that most people, it's a little bit terrifying at first because you're like, oh shit, like who am I <laughs> Like if I don't have this faith framework to back on? So I think that's really good uh, advice. And then the second thing about connecting with things that you're passionate about, whether it's community or just finding your own interest. Again, it's the same thing. Like finding your interest, not finding the interest of somebody else, not the church or your partner or whatever, like having things that are yours is really important. So, and I can give a website it's called 
personalvalue.es, you can actually select through a whole bunch of different core values. There had to have been at least 30 on there. And it has you actually rank what is the most important to you. And it'll give you your top five. And it's free and it gives you an assessment of what your values are. And then like also if you focus too much on on a value. So financial stability was actually one of mine. Um, And it said if you focus too much on this, you might be too stingy and it may actually impact your core value of adventure. I've mm-hmm. never heard this before. Like I've never heard <laughs> this discussed anywhere on any other podcast episode, the atheist community. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm, we'll put definitely links to all that stuff in the show notes too. really yeah. good resources. For the record, I don't think that Caitlin is in any danger of focusing too much on financial security, considering how generous she is. This girl is always <laughs> doing fundraisers for different organizations, whether it be like a cat sanctuary or a women's shelter. And she'll just do paintings and auction them off. Yeah, Everywhere you cool. turn, she's doing something. <laughs> that's awesome. She's also our good human of the week. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we always <laughs> like to do, we've been slacking on our good humans of the week, but I was like, oh, I have a good feeling that our guest will be a good human of the week. So mm-hmm. speaking of that, are there any causes or things that you recommend to people to support, whether financially or otherwise? You mentioned a couple of them, Freedom from Religion Foundation. Are there other charities or organizations that you found align with your values to support on that kind of human level? I definitely really like uh, recovering from religion. That uh, helps people all over the world deconstruct. And what's cool about it is because they are a charity, or sorry, a nonprofit, they cannot aim to deconvert people. So if you're Christian, if you're a Muslim, or if you're anybody that's having doubts about their faith, and don't want to be deconstructed by uh, angry atheist Caitlin on the side of the street. Um, you're not ready to, you know, leave your religion, but you're like, I'm, I'm having doubts. There's plenty of volunteers there that, uh, they aim only to ask you questions and to help you explore what those doubts are and what's the root cause of those doubts. And then they also provide a really cool resource. I think it's called the Secular Therapy Foundation. But whenever you're searching for therapy, a lot of times, uh, especially in conservative states and conservative countries, you'll be put with a faith-based counselor. And the goal of this nonprofit is to link you up with therapists who have been vetted to only provide scientific and fact-based therapy, nothing based on faith. So, for example, you're not going to be told, yes, you need to pray about this or what does your church think? That kind of thing, which I think is incredibly important. Even if you were to ask Christian Caitlin, she would say that your faith is very personal, that it's only between you and God, it's nobody else. So having a therapist that is fact-based isn't going to question your your relationship with God or anything. So not, nothing relating to how would God feel about that. God's right. not in the equation. It's only you. Thanks for your time, Caitlin. We uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Caitlin. 
I really enjoyed actually hearing your voice instead of just messaging you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I feel it was, it was so great getting, getting to talk to you and uh, Susie. Thank, thank you for, so much for having me on y'all's show. Um, I, I hope you guys keep this up for, for years to come. This is such an awesome show. I love listening to it on my long road trips. Nice. Thank you. That Thanks. means a lot. In Texas, you travel by hours, not by minutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of land. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Be sure to join us on our Facebook group, Dangerous Questions, and follow us at flawedtheologypodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple. Those uh, reviews are really cool and we like to hear from them. So until next time, keep asking the dangerous questions. See you next time. All right. Thanks, Caitlin. Bye, Caitlin. Bye. Well, she's trying to hang up. You can... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I like watching your finger. She's like, it's not working. I am such a boomer whenever it comes to these. <laughs> so you funny. have no excuse. <laughs> I know. You're younger than us, right? Wait, are you younger I don't than know. Me? I'm 30. Oh, you're way younger Oh, than us. yeah. <laughs> I blame Texas education. Oh, okay. We can do that. Uh, we can yeah, do we, that. Can, we can yeah. let that one slide. <laughs> I went to Christian school, so I, I'm a big idiot. So...